They're good. Like comics, Jeff. Turns out comics are good. <laughs> That's remarkable. I'm I'm stunned. Um, exactly. Who knew that could be true? But it's true. <laughs> comics could be good. Wow. I said wow. that. Like I like this this case files, but you know we'll get into that in a second. Yes, we will. <laughs> Greetings, citizens. Welcome to Drock, our monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. Uh, we are currently reading uh, volume 36. I should actually, for those of you not in the know, say hello. It is me, Jeff Lester, and with me, the effervescent co-host that is... Greg McMillan. Hi, it's also me. It's also him. So I think you guys are in for a really great episode tonight because we are both... Have shown up, not like the uh, faux replicants of uh, the last couple of months. So I think that's <laughs> I think that's very exciting. We are coming to you live from the Stanton Memorial Volcano. Some of you may remember it as Harry Dean Stanton Block here in Mega City One. And um, Graham, do you want to give us the fine nuanced details of what we shall be discussing? I, I will. Uh, we're doing Case Files Volume 36, uh, as Jeff pointed out. That's material from 2002 and 2003, specifically 2000 AD Progs 1302 to 1335 and 2000 AD Annual Prog 2003 and Judge Red Magazine Volume 4, Issues 14 through 18. For the most part, it's John Wagner, but Gordon Rennie has a lot of presence here. Um, and also, the the longer story in this, uh, Incubus, is co-written by Wagner and Andy Diggle. Yeah. So we have we have a, a fine selection of writers. We have a, arguably a better selection of artists. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've got um, Mick McMahon's in here, Jim Bakey's in here, Simon Fraser's in here, uh, Henry Flint draws Incubus, which is a joy. We've got some uh, Iscara. We've got Anthony Williams. We've got John Ridgway. Like it's a pretty good artistic lineup, I think. Even even with the fact that it starts with Seiko. <laughs> Seiko, I literally, when I hit that first story, I'm like, no, why? Yeah, A Tree Grows in Elia Kazan, the startup story, is, uh, is well, I don't know. Siku does um, what Siku does. And apparently that is kind of reads a script to a Judge Dredd story and wonders what it would look like as a decorative bedsheet covers. So <laughs> I do think the Siku is very much about... Uh evoking a mood yeah not about telling a story but also sometimes the mood doesn't really seem to be the mood that wagner or whoever's writing is going for yes i think that's fair to say mm-hmm. there are some very pretty pages mm-hmm. in a tree Grows and like kazan i as comics and specifically as the comics that it that wagner wrote mm-hmm. not really sure it's working no. but it's pretty nonetheless, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. I'm I'm impressed that Suku was like, oh, a tree grows in Elia Kazan. I'm going to write a story. I'm going to illustrate this so that you feel all the seasons that a tree goes through. And and that's it. That's all you really need. Who needs who needs comprehensive, you know, 
delineation between characters or even really uh, a distinction between foregrounds and backgrounds, but you will know. There is, by the last page, there is a particular panel where three people are talking to Dredd, and you see, like, Dredd's profile in perhaps, you know, an eighth of the panel, all the way in the side. But the three figures are basically washed out against the backgrounds because they're all the same color and tone. Yeah, yeah. It's, if there wasn't a speech balloon... That would be an interesting panel to look at. Yeah, right? You're just like, what is happening there? I definitely should give Siku some some credit because I def- definitely feel that by this point in uh, the storied career of Judge Dredd, artists are really clearly into how much can we abstract Dredd and and still make him recognizable. And I will say that I think Siku's entry of just the bottom part of the mask and the you know he doesn't even go all the way down to the to to the bottom of the chin. I'm like oh, it's uh, I gotta I say I, I kind of love Siku's dread. Yeah, yeah. I it's like I, a little wobbly. It's mm-hmm. it's funny because I I see what you're getting at because mm-hmm. it is uh, it is fairly abstracted, but. Weirdly enough, it evokes like the McMahon. Oh yeah, response to me as well. We are like that's so abstracted that I just kind of fucking love it. Well, no, no, I, it's honestly not a diss. I mean, there's if I were to build on it, it would be the fact that Siku sort of seems committed to a similar lack of detail in many of the other pages. But in terms of a like, yeah, here's a little abstraction of dread. I I also dig it. It's it's actually something that I like. Also, you were did you refer to his his Judge Dread as a little goblin? Yes, that is such a great description and really on point for a lot of these panels. It's it's totally true. Um, it, it, but, I mean, you know, McMahon's is as well. McMahon is I, I McMahon's art in this volume is again very McMahon. His art really doesn't look like anyone else's. Oh, God. right, yeah. Um, and, and I say that as plus. I don't say that as pejorative at all. I, I love what McMahon is doing. McMahon's uh, evolutionary process of dread in that, you know, almost it seems like every time he comes back, even if it's, he's only been gone for like a year, it feels like he's changed how he's drawing dread. And this time it feels like he gives dread lips. Mm. And, and I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. I kind of love unexpectedly pouty dread. <laughs> Yeah, I um I I I do I do love his I love his illustrations. It's so funny. I'm like the story has um on top of all the lovely McMahon stuff, there's the, the last three pages, three pages, last three panels which find dread recuperating in some sort of like hospital robo tank. Just fabulous. Just really just I cannot imagine that when Wagner was writing this story, he was like, yeah, and then, you know, this final punchline is going to be delivered to Judge Dredd, who's going to look like he is, um, you know, inside an iron lung while also wearing, like, some kind of welder's helmet. And it looks great. It somehow just adds to the the comedy punch of that that little punchline. yeah, McMahon's work. The art the art in this volume is great. I'm sure we'll talk about uh Incubus at at 
length. At length. But, yeah. Yes. Um, although there were also some stories where I was, I was a little vexed by <gasps> the art. Yes. Oh, really? Okay. Well, first of all, let's talk about uh, the stories where you're vexed by the art. I have the following agenda for this episode, Jeff Please. and listeners, and I'm, I'm just going to put it out there right put now. Put it out there now. Uh, I want to talk about my intense dislike for Rotten Manors. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about Rainey's contributions to mm-hmm. this volume, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about Incubus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to any of those, uh, I do, I'm curious, what, what are the stories where the art vexes you? And is it that the art doesn't work, or is it, it like, I... Saying I have problems with Paul Marshall's art is overstating it. Mm -hmm. But I think that Marshall is so, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, generically solid. Mm -hmm. That I think he really does come off as dull Mm -hmm. compared with the artists he's surrounded by. You know, like, you get a Marshall story immediately after getting Ian Gibson at Mm -hmm. one point. Like, there's Marshall between Ian Gibson and McMahon. Mm-hmm. Who are so stylized, right? That when you get Marshall, who again, there's nothing wrong with his art, but it's it is almost like nondescript yeah. by design. No, it's 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 yeah, it's not great, and it's it's one of those rare choices too of like it's not the right uh, artist for for particularly for. You know, I I think Rotten Manors is kind of a rough story anyway because it is apparently a um, the the wrap up of the Manners. I don't know what you would call it subplot that is bubbled yeah, across the, a couple of different and stories. It's, it's like it's a a disaster. Like yeah. Marshall doesn't serve it well at all. Like it, 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 it punch that Marshall can provide exactly. But like it, but like all the way through, he does reprisal as well, and I don't think he stuffs particularly. Strong there. He does, um, you know, you get dead funny with Staz Johnson doing it. And I like Staz Johnson's art. Mm-hmm. But again, it does, doesn't really seem to work. That's it. Like, the, the Ian Gibson stories feel off as well. And he is very stylistically, you know. Exactly. Identifiable. Yeah. And that, and that's that's one of the things that I found sort of uh, surprising and frustrating. Is this, like, Gibson, I think I've actually sung his praises in on various previous volumes because I actually sort of like the degree of stylization that he brings and I think I think maybe uh, the story Give Me Liberty uh, by Gordon Rennie which is actually reads like kind of a dread classic um, I, I feel like it's also mostly comedic and so Gibson's work sort of um, suits it well but I feel like um, both After Hours and Sniping, where he pops up, um, the art feels very... It just, it just, unfortunately, it feels a little too disconnected from the story. Like, I, I, think, I think Gibson, um, weirdly, unlike someone like McMahon or um, Jim Bikey or Bikey... Beaky. You know, guys who are really super identifiable um, and stylized artists, they feel connected to the story that they are telling. And Gibson stuff, um, admittedly, part of it is, is that his work has become is so twee here that 
I would say that it just, I guess it, it, it kept me from feeling connected to the stories. Um, in some ways, I think maybe it might've worked like sniping, which is a story I'm sure we'll, we'll just briefly touch on is pretty light, pretty, pretty throwaway. Um, surprisingly so, uh, considering it's, it's Wagner and it's just the real strange way that, that Gibson chooses more or less, I guess, to tell a story that's about gunning down people in public with sort of a really lots of whites and almost a light pastel blue or something like that. There's, there was a lot of, I'm not sure if he was the dude there. There's there's first for a story about a near fascistic uh, police state. There's a lot of surprisingly genteel watercolor work in this volume. It seems to me. So I just <laughs> strikes me it, as I, an odd I, choice. And it feels unusual considering like we've been getting a lot more computer coloring. Do you think? Yeah, that's actually a really good point. In fact, um, there's only one story here from. Escara and it's relatively short and even it doesn't have the his sort of traditional like oh I know what everyone's going to like here what if I just create a new um paint shop brush that's the person's hair and just smear it on there and whoop there we go hey yeah he's kind of got the he's he's overdoing the airbrush effect but um but even it's sort of at least, he, at least the colors that he was choosing are um, darker. Like, I, I definitely think one of the things that sort of helps keep Biscara out of that. Um, I mean, a lot of people are just driven rightly, understandably insane by his Photoshop coloring, I think. But, but at least he chooses a more um, offbeat but darker palette. But yeah, this this really is. Now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, there's actually a surprising number of floral colors. And I guess, weirdly enough, that also flips the script and makes some of the more generic art look super generic. Like um, the story about uh, the judge, A Case for the Offense. Ben Wilshire's work. I know you've mentioned in the past, it's sort of a recurring thing that you're not crazy about Chris Blythe's coloring choices. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if, if there was much that he could have necessarily done here, but um, I thought, I thought, you know, good, good for, good for Wilshire for getting the gig. But I, I, it felt like, felt like reading really generic Batman art from the mid nineties, you know, um, which I I feel like that's like a very particular type of burn. Yeah, it is. It is. There's probably a lot of people who are like, Oh damn this, this, but uh, yeah. Um, overall it's, it, it's kind of interesting. Cause I feel like, I feel like overall um, there were a few uncomfortable cases here where I was like, ah, this art, like one of our simps is missing. Um, the, one of the three, stories from the magazine um by anthony williams that was um that was not necessarily a keeper you know and it's tough <laughs> because it's you know it's literally sandwiched between like um 
you know, like close really, to, sorry. yeah, like a, close to a hundred pages of Henry Flint art, and then Carlos Escara and John Ridgway on the other end of it. So, you know, I mean, Anthony Williams is uh, a solid, yet honestly, pretty unremarkable artist. Right. Um, uh, but again, the coloring—you're right. The coloring does not help him here at all. Mm-hmm. Like a different colorist could have made a world of difference mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to that story. But as you said, coming between Flint and Nascara, he kind of was doomed no matter what to yeah. come off works. I think so. I think no, so. And especially, I would say that, you know, we're, we're going to get to Incubus a bit, but I think that Flint's art in Incubus is some of Flint's strongest dread art. It's insane. It you know? is insane. And, and, and so I feel that you, you are coming off a considerable high mm-hmm. with that storyline. Oh, absolutely. And then all of a sudden it's like, and and here is a strip that is, you know, with, with the best respect to, to Rennie's writing, like, throwaway is being polite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Williams is, is arguably giving the story the attention it deserves, but also <laughs> that means it comes across as, like, ridiculously light and, and sort of, like so sort of inoffensive that it becomes offensive in the great. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, um, but no, I mean, I, I, so wait, are those, are those the stories that, that you think the art is, is failing or are there ones that you specifically think the art is, is failing the writing? Well, I, I think, uh, I mean, I feel like rotten manners just, is no one could save that per se. And the, the, honestly, I, I almost feel like that it might be easier almost for me to talk about the Gordon Rennie strips, I guess in a way, but, but yeah, cause it's part of me sort of, I think it's too scattershot. It'd be very hard yeah. for me to uh, short of going through this story, like, this story, this story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, so, so the reason I want to talk about Gordon Rennie is there's multiple stories in this volume that I thought was Wagner on an off day, and it's Rennie. Yes. And I actually mean that as a compliment to Rennie. Absolutely. Abs- 100%. 100%. Yeah. Uh, no, not not that I, I'm not, I don't mean in the sense of like, oh, he's like shit Wagner, as much as I genuinely thought it was Wagner's work. Mm-hmm. I think Rennie has, after a couple of volumes of this, come up with like a really credible take on Wagner's voice for Dread in particular. Yeah. The one that, that was really true is After Hours. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which very much read like a, a Wagner strip to me. In large part because it's Dread played as the aging cop who is getting reflective about his career and his place in Mega City One mm-hmm. and is maybe changing but not changing a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that felt very much like something that Wagner was the only one really playing with. Yes. And it's done relatively well. You know, there, there's some some bits that felt a little bit too broad for me as a reader, but not mm-hmm. so broad that, again, I thought that it wasn't Wagner. Yes. And so to find out that that was Rennie, I was genuinely surprised. And also had that moment of, Rennie, you fucking got it. You, yeah. You, like, you, you, you can write dreads. Yeah, exactly. No, I had the, I had the same feelings and the same... Um, same sort of trigger of feelings of like, oh yeah, this suddenly, like you said, there were, there were a number of stories that I was like, oh wow, uh, 
sort of like, I'm sort of surprised Wagner went back to this particular well without much more, much new to say per se, which has happened before. And then I was like, oh shit, as you said, like, no, that's, that's Rennie. Like I, I was very impressed with After Hours, um, the Give Me Liberty really struck me as as a, a very like very well done and well executed and even having um there w- there was a story here where it's kind of the classic like oh how are we going to get how's how are we going to not make dread the big bastard in this story and i thought that they got him off the hook uh what's this jeez where is it i feel like i'm talking in utter generalities but what's the one where um is it waiting i guess where the guy shows up and he's supposed to talk to dread and he just yeah yeah, yeah. put through he, 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 yes he's been called essentially been called in for an interview with dread mm-hmm. and it's his wedding anniversary right and he's basically like you know can we get this done quickly i've, I've got to go home and see my wife and and the a combination of bureaucracy and mega city one mm-hmm. ensure that not only is he not seen quickly, he's not seen at all by Dread that day. That's right. And of course, there's a punchline at the end that he was called in by mistake. That did feel very Wagner. It felt very a comedy of errors about bureaucracy, mm-hmm. but in such a way that it, I don't want to say felt unpleasant, mm-hmm. but certainly felt as if uh, there was some misanthropy involved. Yeah. No, I I think I think what I really liked about the story is the way and this is this is something that I feel like um it it's not a bad contrast in a way with say something like uh a tree grows in Elia Kazan or there's some other story in here where it's like it's very much dread is um you know, sometimes he dreads the hero, sometimes dreads the villain, but I feel like a lot of times there's kind of this thin line that that they get to walk with dread. And I very much like the idea that in waiting after more all but literally being tortured while waiting for dread uh, and then told to go away and come back tomorrow, he like loses it tells off dread and dread more or less forgives him. And then when somebody razzes dread, he's like, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's been a long day. And I, I really do like that idea that dread was essentially just so genuinely tired that he decided to treat the, um, the guy decently. And like you said, it, 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 it's the idea that it's also the wrong person. Like it wasn't even, the right Chester, it was supposed to be Chester C. Chester instead of Chester B. Chester or whatever. And um, it's, it's honestly open justice. The, uh, the Rennie story that is about um, ostensibly about people writing in to talk about their cases and how, um, how well or poorly they were handled by the justice department to get them investigated mm-hmm. again. That story had, was one of the few flops from Rennie, this, uh, this volume, like the rest of the time he either has a take on dread or mega city one or the citizens that all feels 
sophisticated enough. Oh, and he's also sort of genuinely crafting stories. You get he's got a setup, an execution, and a punchline. And yeah, yeah. Open Justice really kind of dropped the ball on that one. But it it was almost like, oh wow, like like you said, even with that, I feel like Rennie came has come a long ways and is telling yeah, stuff I, I that feels very Wagner esque. Yeah. I think Benny's work here is, is incredibly strong. Yeah. Uh, I, and again, I saying it's, it's Wagner on an off day is meant as a compliment. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think you and I would both agree that like Wagner when he's on is just, it's just amazing and almost unmatched. Yes. But Wagner absolutely. on an off day is still really fucking good. Absolutely. And I think mm-hmm. what Rennie is, is delivering in this volume is, is genuinely great. Mm-hmm. I think I think Rennie is doing such good work mm-hmm. in this volume. I, I, I'm I'm I was surprised because I enjoyed what he was doing previously, but it just wasn't up to the level of this. It feels like from the start of this volume, yeah. Rennie is just leveled up. And he, even something like Open Justice mm-hmm. feels uh, like authentically dread insofar as I, and I might be wrong. People in the UK could could tell me whether or not that I'm I'm making this up or not. It feels like it's it's one of those like topical stories that Dredd did in the eighties and nineties. Mm. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's riffing off something that's actually happening. Right. And it makes me wonder if there was some sort of push towards, you know, community policing or or, you know, how to how to get people more involved and, and make people feel that they're being heard by the police. Right. Because it feels very much like the 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 central idea is there. Mm-hmm. But there's no story to go along with the idea, right? Mm-hmm. The, the idea of citizens feel like they have a voice and they can call this this hotline. But the hotline ultimately doesn't give a shit about them because it's the judges. Like, that that, that idea is there. It's mm-hmm. just that the way it's executed, the way that it's brought to life is is lacking. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, it, it, it's Which is, uh, you know, it's kind of a shame but it you know but it's also very much a um you know the the dread case files are such an interesting thing to have read 36 of them now because there's so much material that you're covering and i feel like i don't know it you know it it was it was only through that dreaded ennis era where it was just grinding through dozens and dozens of pages of just losers you know it's like most of the misfires here are i mean it helps that they are relatively very minor but you know they're they're pretty benign misfires to be honest exactly exactly you know and and when you see it and it and it's kind of hmm, it seems uh a real necessity in a way like there, there is, there is a way where Rennie has touch breath. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, well, I think there's that, but I think it's also just a little bit of the way of like other, other people have to learn how to do dread, whether it's a different artist and it's, they're not a perfect match right out of the gate or it's, um, you know, someone like Rennie where it's like, you know, he's done like, I don't know. I, I must have read a dozen other dread stories and I think I liked the ones in the previous volume okay, but they weren't they really weren't at this level. And considering how far this is, 
you know, it's 2002, 2003. 2002, yeah. Yeah, you know, Dread's been around a long time. And the the vast majority of um, his stories have been written or co-written by John Wagner. So it's very, it's, it's, it's still a surprisingly um, smooth working machine, but... But I mean, you know, if I if I were editing 2000 AD during this period, the idea that, you know, John Wagner might, I don't know, you know, have a bout of pneumonia and die suddenly. And then you're like, who the hell's going to write our flagship character? You know what I mean? So it's I kind of feel like it's good that they have people like Rennie in and still doing things, especially because he's improved and sort of similarly, when you see some of the art in here, you know, like, like McMahon's, uh, you know, like there's, there's the guys who've been drawing these characters for a, a long time and doing great work. And, but you know, but you still need more. And so I'm trying to think there was somebody who's, an artist here that I wasn't as familiar with who did some real interesting abstraction stuff with, Oh, here it is. What's this story? The, um, it's the story with the, uh, the Wagner story that feels, that feels like Wagner on an off day, the class project story, David Milgate. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Milgate stuff is, uh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not quite prime time. You know, it's kind of got that sort of, um, still kind of recovering from seeing the genius that is, oh God, why am I forgetting his name? Is it Bisley? Are you talking yes. about Yes. Yeah, I, I go exactly. to from David Milgate's work. I exactly. actually really, that's probably my least favorite story in the volume. Yes. It's not great. And the art is not great either, but I did have some moments like he tries introducing dread on the cycle and, he just has the little um, little lightning bolts on his visor instead of just seeing his face. And I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of cool. He's giving it a shot. Like, you know, the story is, you know, at one point he has the glass broken in Dred's visor to show that he's injured. And, of course, the very next page, it's suddenly healed up. But, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I, it's that was not my favorite story. But at the same time, I was kind of like... Okay, but you know, I don't know how many times I've seen this guy before, and maybe he'll finally do enough pages that he can shake off the Bisley influence. Get it or... under control. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, I, 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 I guess I'm trying to be really um, more forgiving for that because there is stuff here where it's like, I don't know, you know, there, it's it, it just feels like your dread story is the people are rolling the dice. You know what I mean? Like you're, you just don't necessarily know like um, that an everyday disaster story, which I didn't, I don't, I'm having the damnedest time remembering what happened in it. Apart from like th there was, it didn't feel like a very complete story. It just kind of seemed to end dramatically, but I really love. It, it sounds terrible, but my primary memory of that is the Jim Biggie's art looked like it, came from a different era yes right no absolutely um, every, every day disasters that is the one where um the i can't remember if it's a kid or not but someone shoots down a, a cruiser that crashes into a building 
Right. It's there's a block war between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman block. Someone shoots this ship. It bumps into Kidman Tower or whatever. And then suddenly it's the judges running around and, and rescuing people. And like you said, the art is I, I kind of loved Bikey's art because it like you said, it feels like it's from a different era. Um, but it's also got strange touches. Like, I don't know. It Again, it feels like maybe he watercolored it or something. Um, yeah, or did like, um, you know, colored inks. It's yeah. definitely, it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely not computer colored. But uh, there's an, a rough quality to it. I was going to say unfinished, which isn't fair. No. But there's a rough quality to it. It lacks the sort of surface sheen that yes. so much art of this mm-hmm. period has. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's an awkwardness to it. And there's an ugliness to it yeah. that I uh, ironically found really attractive. I did too. I did too. It's amazing how much it stands out um, for that. Like the story is pretty disposable, I thought. But uh, I mean, very much so considering it's just like things blow up and then, you know, more people are saved by the judges and then other people are not saved. But the real kind of, yeah, the rough hewn art made it just really attractive. It really did. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Yeah, so, you know, so, I mean, honestly, that would not sort of have been the story that I would have picked for, like I said, I literally can't remember anything about it other than how fucking great Bikey's art is and yeah. and just what a weird... Um, I'm really glad that you can have a story like in 2000 AD, in 2002, that looks like Bikey's doing a tribute to, I don't know, the DC Thompson books of like the early 70s or whatever the influence is supposed to be there. You know, the irony being, Bikey was was probably drawing those books as well <laughs> was he okay well yeah, i jim, gotta jim, say jim he's like jim Bakey's like an old 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 school oh artist. okay okay well good on him is great um, looking also for for people with uh long memories in america was the artist of doug munch's electric warrior in the mid 80s ah thank you thank you did he also end up drawing something for uh alan moore's abc stuff am i yes I he did he drew writing american maybe First American, ah, okay. the first American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny because of his later appearances in with uh, with ABC. I sort of assumed he was he was a uh, like you know kind of a reformed image generation type. I had no idea he went back that far. That's amazing. Yeah, no, no. He drew uh, materially in the first few issues of Crisis, the 2008 spinoff. Wow. He drew the John Smith story in that the the New Statesman. Huh. I'll be danged. I will yeah. be and he, but he goes, but he goes like way beyond that. He he did, he did skiz. Yes, right, right. Yeah, that's it. I should have, I should have, I should have uh, flipped to that. That uh, should have clicked right then because I'm like, yeah, it rings it rings a bell. Skiz, I still haven't read. I have to say, I don't know why. I just I'm like. After reading so much of Alan Moore's other work, you think I'd be down for his revamp of E.T. for early 2000 A.D., but I never really got there to it. Uh, his revamp of E.T., of course, written by uh, someone who hadn't seen E.T. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. Yeah, which I love. He basically went off the idea of E.T. as described <laughs> to him. <laughs> well, you know, 
Uh, maybe I've been sleeping on this too long. I, I clearly have to check it out. Uh, okay, so so we've talked about Rainy, we've talked about the art. Can we talk about Rotten Manners? Because yes. Rotten Manners is... Uh, listeners may remember that the first uh, Judge Manners story, Bad Manners, is something that Jeff and I both loved. Manners is literally a rotten cop. He's a corrupt judge, and the thing that's so good about Bad Manners is... He gets away with it, and he gets away with it because the system is fucked. Mm-hmm. And Bad Manners is essentially a story about that. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a story about the fact that not only is this a corrupt system, it's also a broken system. Mm-hmm. So that it can't, they can't even police themselves, even in the ways that they want to. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's just not possible in the reality that is Mega City 1. It's not nihilistic, per se. But it's very clear about what life inside a broken, corrupt system is like. You know, it's it's clear that all the citizens of Mega City 1 are fucked, you know? And that Dread is the hero, but it, Bad Manners goes to, I would say, great pains to point out that Dread is not infallible. Mm-hmm. And Dread is willing to overlook a lot because he's also part of this system. That's right. It's a really powerful story. Rotten Manners feels like either a parody of that or John Wagner just being like, ah, fuck it, no, I'll get the story that everyone thought they were going to get the first time around. Yeah, it's odd, especially because um, this is Manners' third appearance, right? There's yet another appearance that is it is at least... He appeared, two... he appeared in the last volume. He essentially shows up as like a, a guest star? It's not a story about him. He he shows up in someone else's story in an in yeah. another story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not he's not the point of the story. Although he's still being a shit cop in it. So yeah, I I don't know. It's it's weird. I wish I knew how Wagner worked. You know what I mean? Because I kind of feel like Manners was a way for. I don't know. I, I I I feel I feel perhaps unsurprisingly the 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 bent judge comes up um you know every so often in dread not not honestly as often as you would think actually but um but it does it does indeed come up and I think Manners starts off as being maybe one of the best incarnations ever in the sense of he he manages he manages to get away with it and part of why he manages to get away with it is because you know as you point out the system's broken but it's broken in a way that works for men like him and he knows it and one of the things that creep creep me out about manners is is that he is very much um in the wake of a lot of stories you hear about uh, the police in America felt very modern and up-to-date. And it's interesting to me that Wagner, I think, was sort of... Whereas before, I feel like a lot of other... When you saw bad judges or bent judges, um, they're, it's, it's kind of pretty pulpy. You know what I mean? It's like dread versus like a bad judge or... You know, bad judges. Yeah, do, trying do you remember? To get their I, can't, own... I can't remember who he was. Like, oh, was it 
Crazy Larry and Bad Mo or whatever it was. Yes, yeah, exactly. So from like from the, sort of from the late eighties, early nineties material, yeah. where it's the bad judge, but also he's got an imaginary demon on his shoulder. Yeah, you know, it's it's the, like that level of right of uh, sort of I don't want to say ridiculous, but melodrama. Yeah, let, let let's just say I, the term that came to mind was sort of overheated, you know, and which yeah. is great. That's fine, like. And he ends up going, you know, they even take it a step further where he ends up down in one of the the Central American mega cities that is super corrupt and he's having a sort of a final time. Like it kind of works in an overheated pulp, melodramatic sort of faux Jim Thompson-esque kind of stuff. Manners feels different from that and... And I sort of wonder if Wagner was like, okay, like kind of having finally sort of created a a, a very recognizable version of a bad cop kind of went like, I don't know, just at a certain point was like, there's, there's nowhere that I have to go with this character. You know what I mean? Like, because I think that there's something that sort of... Um, I think the thing that is weird about Manners, maybe, particularly in this story, you see him, he is, you know, very careless, very violent, uh, but he's, you know, he's almost all but, um, he's, he's literally taking broads to bed, basically. You know what I mean? Like, and it's sort of a... I don't. I don't know how to describe it. I. I feel like part of the problem with manners might have been that Wagner was like, I can tell a story about a, about, a crooked judge that reflects on today's crooked cops, but it. It doesn't. It's not going to mesh perfectly well in the world of dread because it's, because it's a different world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um. You know, you don't, you just don't have, like, the judges are always on the job, or the judges aren't supposed to have relationships, or, you know, there's varying levels in which they're different from today's corrupt cops, and then therefore it just starts running counter to what you have. What I thought was interesting in Bad Manners, well, the two things that I thought were interesting, is the idea that Manners himself has had to move and change districts several times um, yeah. in, par in part because maybe his bad rep is caught up with him and he's had to leave. Um, and so the idea that in the story is that manners is sort of a aberration within the judges system, at least it's sort of semi implied there. Um, but then of course the other way to look at it is is that you have scenes with manners with his helmet off um and just like dread you don't get to actually see his face so there's a few tricks that that the artist does do with the story to to give dread and manners sort of a level of equivalence on the page that i thought was kind of interesting i guess in a in a very sad and obvious kind of way i guess <laughs> i i i found i found this story uh particularly frustrating i think might be mm -hmm. the best way of putting it basically because it felt like it it went broad in a way that the, the earlier one did not yes 
for want of a better way of putting it, Manners was sloppy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that made Bad Manners the story so successful was that he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. That was essentially a story about the fact that he he realized he'd made a mistake and he'd been sloppy and that he worked to fix it. And mm-hmm. here he's literally just like picking up a woman, fucking right. her, but then being like, oh, baby, it's going to be okay. I'm just going to shoot these two guys right in public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was even more than the idea that like Dredd basically finds him on a technicality. Like mm-hmm. Dredd finds out on a technicality. Or the Dredd had suspicions. Like even more than that, like showing manners is basically just this guy is like, ah, whatever, you guys. I can do whatever yeah. the fuck I want. Yeah. Right. Felt like it was it was uh, a different character almost. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, and there's I guess there's something to be said for, you know, maybe a character like that, as they get away with more shit, they do get sloppier. They do think that they're invulnerable and then they're not. But it it makes it makes it it's sort of because we've only seen the character just sort of a handful of times, it just it feels more like a um yeah, like a, a sloppy rewrite into something sort of simpler and more dis uh, easily dismissed, which is what it really feels like. It kind of feels like Wagner kind of coming up, crafting something really strong and kind of distressing out the, the gate. And for whatever reasons, just being like, I don't, I just don't want to, I just don't want to play out this particular string of cards. You know what I mean? And so instead what we get is kind of a, a, really unwelcome return to sort of, again, kind of the overheated melodrama. Um, and yeah, like you said, the character is is way sloppier. And I don't know, it, it's it's just a shame because it feels like there was a lot of potential there. And, and of course, by the yeah. time you get to the end of it, what you get all feels kind of pat and way too easily tidied up. The art does, is, does not help here at all. Yeah. Like, imagine yeah. if, if John Burns had been painting this. Yeah. Ima- imagine if, you know, Henry Flint had been drawing it. Yeah. It would have been, it would have played out very differently. Yeah. Ta- Paul Marshall is just too clean an artist mm-hmm. to be drawing this. Yeah. So that none of it really lands properly. Mm-hmm. It feels like a cleaned up version. It feels like a bad adaptation of something. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. It, 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 the, the art, the art definitely adds to that feeling of whatever we're, you know, we're reading something that has been really dumbed down. It's a shame, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that bad manners, uh, bad manners, I think that manners had a lot of potential. Yes. And I feel like he's sort of speedily shuffled off the board here in, in a way that feels unnecessary mm-hmm. and also feels it's happening in a story that's beneath them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 kind of weird. It's kind of weird that way, especially considering. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know. It, yeah. What you said, Graham. What you said. So, <laughs> which is to say, try harder. But on the complete flip side, um, yes. Incubus. I have been talking up Judge Dread Aliens for months now, not. Because I wanted to create such a sense of anticipation, but because I genuinely thought it was happening in an earlier volume. Right. But we finally got in here. Did it live up to me excitedly talking about it for so long? Uh, I would say mostly 
Yes, I would. Um, I I have to say, I as much as I enjoy the Aliens movies, I have been. I'm I'm pretty indifferent about the Aliens comics. I guess every <laughs> once in a while you read read a good one. I kind of thought that Incubus. Um, well, for one thing, uh, I think that the, there's just the the level of craft is just shockingly high. I mean, part of it is the fact that you're getting a hundred pages of art by Henry Flint, which and Flint is just tearing the shit out of this story. Just in terms of, there's so many. Um, there's lots of things in the comic that are just kind of like um, moments that are 100% effective because of how the artist delivers. You know, Flint just really brings a lot of shock to um, the to a lot of the violent scenes in here. There's they're pretty bloody and brutal, and um, and it really gives that super sort of to me what I associate as uh, the the feel of the alien movies which is you know they're pretty nihilistic and they're really um, you know pretty pretty gory you know and and so I loved how much it didn't shy away from that I, I think one thing I like about Incubus a lot is that the um, you get a secondary set of characters, which are the Verminators, the the Terminators that are that are called in before the judges really know what they're dealing with, and they think it's some sort of escaped animal. And then those guys get sort of more or less kind of drafted in after their half their team gets killed off in the first encounter. They they more or less are going after revenge. And and I I liked how much. Um, you know, the, one of the great things about the first alien movie, honestly, the first two aliens movies, I think are really grounded in cinematic science fiction that I, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast. Part of what really works for me is, is when that, um, when it's sort of tailored to sort of a blue collar working aesthetic mm-hmm. you know like one of the great things about alien is the fact that those guys are just a bunch of regular working joes who are more or less you know doing things that their bosses are demanding of them and they're kind of like well okay but am i getting overtime for this you know and so so i definitely had hoped that if wagner was going to do a dread alien story that he would bring in a bunch of sort of regular working class dudes or kind of out Mm -hmm. of quickly get out of their depth kind of thing. Because I think that that's something that Wagner does really well. And I think would have his eye on the prize on. So I super glad to see that in here. And I thought for the most part was handled, um, mostly pretty well. Like I thought the characters could have been like maybe a little better, drawn out frankly which is a weird pun like most of the personality comes from flint's just absolutely gorgeous design of them 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Graham. Overall, yes, Incubus uh, was a uh, was a great read. I really enjoyed it. I had some problems with it that I feel like are problems for me with every just about every Aliens comic that I read, which is usually <laughs> like these guys are so like. The first half of the story, they are destructive and indestructible and just a human nightmare and seem almost impossible to beat. And then in the second half of the story, people usually figure out a way to beat them more or less by doing the same things that they were doing in the first half. But it just seems to work in the second half. Like there's there's one of the things that I thought was really great about Incubus is how much... um, the idea that the the aliens are just such a violent form of life that their their acid blood is destructive and and it's kind of glorious one of the early encounters of the judges fighting the aliens has the judges like shooting them close up and and basically having their faces like eaten away by acid as yeah. a result of being yeah. too close, which is fabulous. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like how, you know, kind of like the judges are, are more or less have their hands tied because this thing that they rely on, their gun is just as much a weapon that, you know, is as dangerous for them as it is for what they're shooting at, you know, where are they going to go from there? And I guess it kind of feels like the answer is, um, we're just going to shoot them from farther away unless we need a story, unless we need a scene where someone shoots them from too close so we can have a horrible effect. Like there's a scene where dread goes up into the, the, um, you know, narrow ventilator shafts and encounters an alien and kind of shoots it from close up. And then, you know, the acid is eating everything away, but he's kind of like fine. And I'm like, huh, that sort of, you know what I mean? Like, but I, I feel like, again, I'm a, I, I, I'm just, I'm not a good Aliens fan. I feel like whenever I read that stuff in most of the comics or, or any of the movies after like the first two, I'm sort of like, yeah, but, uh, but why, but how? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so that's, I th- yeah. Sorry. No, 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 please go. That's where I was going to ask you exactly this. I think Incubus is arguably the most successful alien comic that is not Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson's original adaptation of the first film. Yes. Yeah. I think that Incubus is like even putting aside Henry Flint's just shockingly good art Oof. and the fact that like he draws the aliens really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like his alien artwork in particular is great. He does a really good xenomorph. He mm-hmm. does a really good sort of like xenomorph ness. Mm-hmm. He he gets that right. It feels right and authentic to the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but even beyond that, I feel that structurally it does you like you said. It's the first two films. Mm-hmm. You know, I think tonally it's really, really, really close to uh, to what you want, which is a dread version of the first two films. Yeah, I I would think it leans closer to the second, which kind of makes sense. But it's there is this element of it doesn't seek to like explain the alien and mm-hmm. it doesn't get lost in its own mythology. It's just like, oh, there's this thing and it's going to fucking kill you. Deal with it. I right. love that it is 
much more of a horror comic than Dread normally is. Yes. You know, like you said, like, you know, they try and cut the face hugger off a judge and it's, they lose their hand as a result. Yeah. Like, the burns through their hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, A judge shoots one and Flint's art gives basically like half a page to the acid pouring on this guy's head and there's a hole in his shoulder in that panel. Yes. Which is an amazing touch. Yeah. Yep. You know, like it's already gone through there. Um, It feels out of control and panicky in the way that like the first two Alien films do. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a sense of just urgency and vibrancy and and just you know nightmare logic mm-hmm. that i think honestly alien comics in general don't have like yeah. i don't know if you're reading current marvel alien comic but it feels like slow and clinical and honestly much more like something like prometheus mm-hmm. than that you know alien or aliens or, or for that matter even alien covenant which is pretty close to the first alien mm-hmm mm-hmm it, it just, it feels very successful as, like, an alien story. Mm-hmm. But also, it entirely works as a Dread story. Mm-hmm. Which is is such a crazy thing to pull off. Especially because, you remember Dread Predator? Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was not this at all. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, right. Like, yeah. it, which, in the many ways that didn't work, this works in almost the same number of ways. And I also like the structure and pacing of this which is at first you have this the singular xenomorph that mm-hmm. they're chasing after the problem and dread kills the single singular xenomorph and it feels as if the story is heading towards inclusion and then you have wagner and diggle basically be like no 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 you remember this all came from a place and that there's a mystery there that still needs to be solved yes so you have to go back and deal with the nest of them mm-hmm. that i thought mm-hmm. was really really successful yeah as a structure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's actually that's a that's an excellent point cuz although uh, yeah, it's uh, on the one hand I'm I I do love that and I do love the um I I love the fact that they have that you know, the aliens in the second half also are become a bit of a MacGuffin that there there's a bad guy behind them that's directing them and so you get some stuff that's really some cool holy shit moments out of it not least of which is basically yeah they set off a bomb at the base of the uh, the judge's building and send all the aliens like you know going straight Fair in is, yeah. yeah so it's like a huge everything going to shit scene and some fun well, but also like like you said the judges are powerless because yeah. the judges shoot things, yes, and they can, you know up up until like you said they're you know by the end they can shoot things because basically they shoot them from far enough away, you know at least initially they're powerless against it, mm-hmm. you know and you do have this exterminator group who are you know honestly equally powerless against it but feel as if they have more agency and feel as if they have more more ability to comprehend what this is mm-hmm. because. It's, you know, the xenomorph is entirely outside the judge's frame of reference. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, they know criminals and they know mutants who they can shoot and kill. Mm-hmm. And then this mm-hmm. thing shows up and it's neither of those things. And they're just like, oh, shit. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. And at least the exterminators are like, well, okay, what is it? How is it behaving? What is it doing? 
mm-hmm. even as they're getting slowly picked off, even as they're getting killed. They're still like, well, this is a life form and it has behaviors. We have to think about what it is. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also feel like Incubus leans into a lot of movie tropes from the series, I should say, in a way that I find really honestly, curiously endearing. Mm-hmm. In almost any other story, I would find the judge, the female judge who has to take off her uniform because, like, the the aliens have glued themselves to it to be gratuitous. But there's something about it that I'm like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of, like, Ripley stripping down. You know, it feels like a call-out to that. Yeah. Or the part where they're talking about, like, the the, the way to get rid of the, the xenomorphs is through a mini nuke, is the, you know, nuke them all from orbit line. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like they're, they're making specific references to the movies, where it was like, this this feels like the work of people who like the Aliens films. Right. And right. are excited to work with it. Yeah. In a way that is just, it makes it more fun to read. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I think, I think that is all really great. You and I had talked about, um, actually with Chloe the other week on our previous, uh, wait, what talking about Devlin Wah, um, swimming in blood. And you were kind of like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's sort of like the big dumb action movie beats, you know, sort of like Morrison tried doing, um, in, in his story. And, and that is, that is, I was very aware of that, uh, process at work here. Like, I feel like first and foremost, they're able to kind of do, a a big, it's like a big movie. It's got the big movie beats. And that's, I think part of the reason why the exterminator characters actually are super effective in a way, because they are, um, they're cut from a different cloth than the judges. And that's kind of important. Like you said, they're, they they have a way of looking at the the aliens as a threat that allows them to make more sense of it than than what the judges are doing but also on top of it it's just there's a little bit of the the first alien movie is such a and arguably the second one too in a different way is you know they're about frailty of course you know it's really about mortality in the most um kind of gruesome nuts and bolts kind of way like you know the aliens Mm -hmm. are just these death things and i feel like it's a little bit better in some ways with the verminators because you have characters who kind of have something to lose you know you've got the characters there's the two characters that are talking about getting married and they both, you know, one of them dies really early on and the other one ends up killing a couple of people because he flips out so badly and then later himself dies in like a really kind of gruesome way. And um, there's there's something about all of that that I, I feel works really well as a grounding. Like, I guess the what I think is interesting, what helps, I, I would say, is, is that part of why I think this is such an effective story and is so well done. I mean, again, apart from Harry Flint, Henry Flint, just doing fucking fantastic work, um, is that dread 
in a way, it's like a story. Judge part of what dread can do so well is tell stories in which dread isn't the center of the story. You know what I mean? And that really feels like the case with Incubus. Like he gets a lot of big beats. He gets to kind of say his summer movie punchlines. There's also, you know, some really nasty shit that happens to him. That's pretty terrifying to look at and great. Um, But at the core of it, it's very much in the same way that Dredd can sit back and almost be a supporting character in his own strip so that you can, the creators can tell a story about someone else in Mega City One. It, it's sort of like, yeah, you can, you can take Dredd and sort of put him in the back seat of your Dredd Aliens crossover. And it still all works because there's sort of part of what, to, part of what Dredd and it, the aliens franchise sort of shares is a sort of um, almost darkly humorous nihilism, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's Mm -hmm. really easy to dip into that. It's not always there with dread, but when it appears, it doesn't necessarily feel foreign and therefore it feels really, um, it's a natural fit. I mean, this feels like a better, um, not Necropolis. What was the what was the damn Ennis Wagner super zombie? Judgment Day. Yeah, Judgment Day. This feels like a better um, Judgment Day megaprog than Judgment Day did. You know what I mean? Like in terms it, of it's just no. Yeah, I I think you're right. Uh, what I was going to say is in terms of of what this does that a other aliens comics don't do. Mm-hmm. Be really makes us work is it has the license in part because of dread in part because of two thousand e to go bigger and broader in ways that are outside of like the alien movie DNA but mm-hmm. entirely fit with the alien concept DNA. Yes, like you know the, the Flint thing of of the guy's face melting, mm-hmm. you know, or the the alien coming out of the guy's chest and dread just like grabs it and throws it away. Yes. Yeah. There, there's there's like a great dynamism and like comic book over the top and this comic book melodrama to to both of those things mm-hmm. that you know the aliens films with the exception of like um, Alien Resurrection which is just you know terrible on, on multiple levels but um, aliens films are 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 quieter and and even something like Cameron's Aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it feels restrained in a way that like this feels incredibly over the top and big. Yeah, you know, and and so when you get the like you don't get the the like shock movie value of a guy's face melting, mm-hmm. you know, but it works so well. Mm-hmm. It, it it feels like it explains a core part of like the xenomorph DNA. No pun mm-hmm. intended. It it was such immediacy. Mm-hmm. That you're like, I'm surprised we haven't seen this in a movie, right? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it just it feels like it does feel like the, the you know a near perfect crossover because both things play to each other's strengths. Yeah, you know, and and, and honestly, in a way that's surprising. You know, I think it's surprising in large part because Dread Predator was was not good, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but 
but you know there's some great because you have the exterminator characters because mm-hmm. it's not just judges right you just get some good outright alien moments in this yes you know yep. there, there's there's the scene where the exterminators are, are going looking for the alien and there's a page where uh like you know a third of the page is is the exterminator looking down and realizing the xenomorph is actually on top of them yes and you get an amazing shot of the xenomorph crouched over them mm-hmm. but the the last two panels of the page is an extreme close-up on the, the exterminator screaming with the xenomorph's mouse behind them mm-hmm. and then the front of their helmet just being splattered by blood yeah and it's just this incredibly successful moment mm-hmm. that that has nothing to do with dread per se, mm-hmm. but is just like so good. It's just such a good alien comic. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. No, it's uh, it 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 goes pretty hard. And I again, I also have to give credit. I not. I haven't read a ton of stuff by Andy Diggle, I have to say. Um, and I know that Diggle was the, um, you know, assistant editor and then editor-in-chief of 2000 AD for, for a hot minute. Um, and then before moving into to freelancing. And I think, he, unsurprisingly, he and Wagner, um, it... it feels very cohesive i am not sure how the beats break out in terms of who does what or or how it all happens but it i kept forgetting that it was diggle and wagner it felt very much like wagner all the way through in a lot of ways you know um so i'm i'm however they put it together i'm I'm pretty impressed by the results because it felt yeah it it reads incredibly well yeah it right it doesn't feel like either side are necessarily like, you know, struggling for control or something. It feels very confident from the get go. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, very much so. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it was, it, it, it was great. Like I said, it lived up to the hype. It was, I felt sort of, it's ironic the way that the material gets organized in case files because, you know, it's basically, there was that followed by what three stories from the magazine and which all know. felt like a, a you know an anticlimax. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You yeah, know. it's true because you do you get you get this like one hundred page story that also really interestingly doesn't feel like it's been serialized. It really did. I, I actually yeah. Upon re upon rereading, I found myself going back and being like, okay, so I guess there must have been a break here, but right. you don't get that like other stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other dread mega epics, or even other stories like in this book that have been serialized, you can see the joints, and that's yep. not a criticism, right? No. They're they're literally created to be six page episodes. Yeah, uh, but that's that's not the case with Incubus. Incubus reads incredibly coherently. It reads like it's it's full length. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I uh, um... the point where it it does tricks that that. Dread doesn't traditionally do. There's full page splashes in this, which Dread never does. Yeah, I assume you know part of this is because, and I might be wrong, but I'm fairly sure that like Dark Horse probably published an American edition of this mm-hmm. that where that were you know, 24 pages or whatever at mm-hmm. a time. But it it like it reads, it reads like one 
chunk. And then, like you said, you get like three or four magazine stories afterwards where you're just like, oh, and this. <laughs> and <laughs> right. you know, it feels unnecessary. Like, you should have stopped there. Yeah, right? Because, like, or, or even, didn't we have a volume where they did the magazine parts first and then they did the 2000 AD um, collection? Like, I think they would have been better served doing that. Uh, unless they were worried that basically someone was going to read one of our simps is missing and after about page eight was like, ah, I'll skip this volume. I don't, I don't. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not going to read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to read this. There's, there's nothing else in there. And like, we're somewhere shout, just shouting Incubus is so good. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And I mean, part of me is like, yeah. So I, I wish they had flipped it around. It's, it's also interesting. Cause I feel like the magazine stories, since they're longer, um, it can either count sometimes dramatically to their disadvantage, but it usually counts to their advantage, you know, because like you said, there's not the, the joints aren't visible in, in a, in a magazine story way. Cause there's usually more pages, um, you know, for for each installment, even if it's a multi-installment one. And so even that so gets shown up, by Incubus, which is just which just feels like a solid hundred page unbroken thrill ride. Um that that the things that the the charms that the magazine stories can offer in the case files, which is like, oh it's you know, it's usually longer stories and it's usually all by the same artist, so you don't get as many weird, you know, three parts by one guy fourth part by the guy who was having lunch in the 2000 AD offices when the editor found out that the first guy wasn't going to be able to draw the fourth part or whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's all of those, those charms are shown up by again, Incubus just being like this big ass Epic smacked right 126 pages into your volume. And so, yeah, to finish it up and be like, yeah, now you got like, I don't know, another 50 pages. What are you going to do? It really took it. The, the, the magazine. You struggle. This is what you're saying. Yeah, it really does. Like Radlander is, is, um, is, is gorgeous work is really well, well written by Wagner. Like it's, it's a good enough story to make you forget that, you know, it feels a bit like a rewrite of an Ennis story that, you know, that, that Ennis did, but with dread, but, but they're so after, after reading the rest of it. And it's not like I like finished incubus and was like, okay, now I'll just plow through the rest of it. Like I, I took a day and came back to it and I was still like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm still thinking about, I'm still thinking about Henry Flint, man. Like that dude, that dude, oh, he, cause you know, part of what's so great is, is his work looked to me, particularly in Incubus has such a strong Escara influence on the characters design and their look. But then cause Flint is so goddamn talented. He's also able, like you said, he draws great xenomorphs. He, do- he draws great tech. Like he's able yeah. to tease out the, um, some of the uh, Euro, Euro comics underpinnings, like the Mobius and Droulet and some of the other stuff that was an influence on both 
dread and alien and and tie some of that stuff together in there as well i mean it's just that plus again the storytelling is just top notch like it's really yeah. no, no no flint, flint is flint is top level and this is maybe the best flint we've seen so far yeah in, in at least the, the case files to date mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um like flint goes on to become you know a understandably a significant player in yeah. in like dread art Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he works in some really big stories and every time he does, every time it's an event, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you're, you're talking about an scary influence. I see a lot of, um, early McMahon mm. in his work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like, like, the, you know, the, the, the block war era McMahon, block mm-hmm. mania rather. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the characters have that like sort of angular sort of ugliness but it's it's such a controlled sort of caricature yeah that that it it just it feels like a complete world mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like like flint flint's it doesn't just feel like you know uh for a better way of putting it it doesn't feel like a comic book artist has a style that they want to play with it mm-hmm. feels like a lived in fully fleshed out world Mm-hmm. That draws in all of the like, there, you know, there's Kevin O'Neill in there as well. You can see some O'Neill stuff in mm-hmm. there, and it's, mm-hmm. it it really is as if he's pulled in all of these like classic 2008 influences, yeah, to and and made them his own. Absolutely, I mean that's it. It to me, it feels super organic, um, which is just stunning. It is like you can see. You know, as we were talking about, way too many artists in 2000 AD wearing their influences too, so heavily on their sleeve. Um, and and the stuff that Flint's doing in here, like you said, is just top tier, next level shit. It's really great. Um, yeah, no, I have to say, Graham, really glad you um, you talked it up. Oh, right. I forgot about the, the they, is that the thing where they, he gets his... Yeah, Dread with the slashed mask. His helmet gets cut up, slashed at one point, and he and he carries through through the story with like these slashes on his helmet, or at least through that that also an action sequence that I thought was quite great, which is him and the alien fighting on top of the uh, the zoom train. Um, that was very satisfying. Yeah, a lot of really satisfying action sequences and scenes in it. Like I said, except for the few points where some where I'm like, wait, how is that person still alive? I don't. That makes what? But you know, again, like you can only you can only do. I th- I think that it's it's hard enough. I think half the problem with the alien comic is managing to successfully capture the nightmarish. Oh my god, this is an unstoppable killing creature. Um, feeling to it um, that it's very hard to make that transition of like, and here's how we kick its ass because USA, you know, so. Um, oh, which reminds me, did you, did you ever, so I know that someone in your household is almost as big a Broforce fan as I am, but I have to say when the <laughs> aliens in, invade Broforce toward the end, that's, um, that's, a great sequence as well. That is also like, seriously for people who like Incubus, definitely pick up bro force and play it till you get to the alien levels. Cause once they start showing up and 
their fucking acid blood eats your character away and turns him into a little eight bit skeleton. That's that's You're that's like, that's 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 pod racing. That is that is that's pod racing. Oh brother, is it? Um yeah, so Graham, Incubus was definitely worth the read. The rest of this is is I, I thought a pretty pretty good little volume. Like even though there was a lot of stuff where I was are like you saying Drock or Dross. I'm definitely saying Drock. Yep. Definitely. The yeah, weird I, part I is yeah I, yeah, I think it's I think it's Drock as well. And uh, you know, a large part of that genuinely is Incubus is fucking amazing. Is I mean great. Incubus is just yeah. just shockingly good. But yep. even the other stuff I you know, so like too. there are mm-hmm. there are is more than a fair share of of comedy one offs here. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part they're well done, they're enjoyable. Yeah. Uh there's Remy really stepping up. Yes. Really stepping up as as yep. you know, as backup writer. I, mm-hmm. I feel that there's so much to enjoy uh, mm-hmm. in this volume. Yeah, I thought so. Um we skipped did you want to talk about anything else such as like out of the undercity, which is arguably a prequel to Incubus? Um a, a kind of weird one, um in many ways. I mean, not especially. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In large part because I do just... Part of it is also I think that anything we talk about after talking about Incubus is going to feel like an also run. Do you know what I mean? Oh, completely. I mean, and and I, I guess I, I, I brought it up as much from the idea of like, I feel like in your show notes... Um, there's always the point where you're like, oh, and here's the story that we didn't talk about at all, which is a shame because it's goddamn amazing. So I don't know, maybe you were going to feel that way about the werewolf judge story that introduces I, I mean, the bad guy feel, for Incubus, but yeah. I don't, I don't feel it's amazing, but I do really <laughs> like it. I thought I like, it was okay. I like, well, I like it well enough, but I also had this like, why are we doing a werewolf sequel story now? Yeah, and the answer is you know, to basically introduce the villain for Incubus, who's who's going to be used like you know three stories later. But uh, it's, it's for me the the win for that story is Carl Critchwell's art, which I think is really good. Yeah, I I think the art is good on it. It's honestly I I was um I was pretty okay with it. I, it's weird how much it's such a strange like. Uh, particularly because when the judge comes out of there, uh, I was like, oh man, wouldn't it be wild if like this guy was infected with the alien and that's how you go. And I'm like, oh no, wait, that's not, this isn't that story. That's um, You're like, that's you know, too 50 early. pages later. <laughs> yeah. Too, it's too early, but it is strange that you spend all this time introducing like your werewolf judge of the undercity. And that's also how you introduce your bad guy for the aliens thing. And I, I did have that thing of like, yeah, it's probably a good idea they didn't bring back Judge Werewolf for the Aliens crossover. Like, I think the other <laughs> that thing would have really amazing. That would have <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone would have been like, no. And I think I think that's the other thing that is the genius about about Dread and Mega City One is um is that you just like with dread you can sort of turn the volume down on mega city 1 and it's just a it's kind of a it's kind of a, a city of the future it doesn't in other words you don't 
you don't have to have aliens in there with simps and a werewolf judge and I don't know, you know, the a hottie stand. I don't know. Um, you know, you can just have it be something that's kind of just creepy and crazy and it works. Who doesn't want? I mean, that's it. Stand. They should do a sequel. They should just do a sequel where they just they they just completely. But there's no judges. It's just the xenomorph like dealing with everyone else in Mega City oh, One. Oh no! It's like the it's like the aliens and Wagner's favorite go to, like one of the fatty contests. Like it's which which honestly would be amazing. No, cause, uh, I'm say I'm joking about this, and I'm like that's basically all the Judge Death stories that Wagner does. Yeah, that's probably true. I guess that's right. Like the, that's where, right. where he basically takes the horror character and like makes them into a comedy character by going like, "Here's Mrs. Grunderson." Right, right, exactly. You know, like she she's deaf and blind and doesn't understand that he's a monster. What what sort of wacky hijinks are going to ensue? <laughs> it's totally true. I'm glad you pointed it out because I've always felt a little weird when Wagner's like, "Oh yeah, Judge Death," like. What could be more comical than that? You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like you start off with one of the most horrifying villains ever created, you know, and then get Brian Boland to draw him. And maybe that's the problem. And then after that, you're like, eh, yeah, I'm thinking more of like kind of a sitcom kind of thing, you know, kind of, you know, farce, you know, the way you would do if you had like the world's most frightening villain. You know, that's that's where I go. So good, good old Wagner. Although uh, Death then gets spun off into a Dark Judges trip, mm-hmm. which is you know intermittently still running in the magazine. What's fitting, I guess, compared with what we're just talking about, is Wagner really plays it, it leans hard into alien references. Uh, oh, with that, really? Yeah, he he he. Uh, God, I can't remember the name of the story. So Dark Justice is the story that gets the Dark Judges off of Earth and into space. Right. And then there's a follow-up, and I can't remember the follow-up's name for the life of me, but Wagner writes the first series, and then I think David Hine takes over for the, for the subsequent series. But mm-hmm. definitely the first series leans very heavily into an alien's riff. Huh. Huh. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of... How should I put it? I feel like part of the thing that's super satisfying about Incubus is feeling like, you know, there were a handful of movies that Wagner and when he was co-writing with Alan Grant um, would reference or lean on or were very into. And it's clear that Alien was was one of those films, you know, um, mm-hmm. so. Well, they, I mean, they even did an Aliens riff. Remember the Starborn thing? Oh, yeah. There's a story about an alien that comes down and impregnates Dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they literally have done this, you yes. know, in the early 1980s or the mid-1980s. Yeah. Um, which is what is particularly funny, I guess, uh, in Incubus, because you get at least visual references to it. I can't remember if they actually make a, a, a textual reference to it. Um, but it clearly the, the, at least Flint is aware of it because there are specific visual callouts to it. Oh, really? Um, wow. Which I, I kind of love. Those. Yeah. That's fabulous. You know, like it's, it's funny that, you know, someone somewhere is aware of like Dread's history and the fact that, you know, 
Dread has literally dealt with this sort of thing before because they were ripping off this material. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so the fact that they come back to it and, and that's acknowledged at least in the background, but the foreground is also just a ripping good alien story. Um, okay. So I feel like we should pick our least favorite and most favorite stories with Incubus sort of taken out of the running. Incubus Incubus just sort of acknowledged as just, you know, miles ahead of everything else in here. Yep. Just my, just so fucking good. Um, Mm. I will say that my least favorite is class project, as I previously Mm. said. Yeah. Um, just because it's, it's just, um, it feels broad in a way that is not my taste in both writing and art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it just feels like it's not really working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of favorites, hmm, if you take Incubus out, I'm not sure. I kind of want to say Zoom Time, weirdly enough, which sorry we haven't even talked about. Oh, yeah, right. Um, uh, Zoom Town is a Zoom Time is a one-off, which is basically, um, you know, dread. It's, I mean, how would you describe it? I guess you, it, it's a sort of dread walks the beat story, um, but the beat that he ends up walking is a super a crowded car. train, yeah, subway train, yeah. and so he's trying to enforce the law in a, an absurdly overpacked subway train. And so it's, I think Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the humor comes from. Simon Fraser does some absolutely fabulous work with faces, um, uh, which is interesting. Cause you, you really didn't like Simon Fraser the last time we had him in in one of these books, but, um, but no, I, what I like about it a lot is it's, uh, it's a workplace comedy, which I think mm-hmm. you know Wagner does well. We've talked about. Right. Uh, it is it's it's a joke strip. It's a one off. It's a joke strip, but it also tries to work in some action. Yeah, that I, in in such a way that uh, works in in such a way that it it's it is exciting for what it is. You know, mm-hmm. like Dread hangs or. Dread is basically hanging around on the outside of this like subway slash monorail car, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Try, I, and that's and there is, and it works. It it is exciting. It is something that you're like, oh, I haven't seen this before. Right. I understand the stakes. The, the, you know, I, I, it's it feels like it does a lot in just six pages, but also it feels like it does it really well. You know, I think you're right. That being said, I sort of feel hmm, um, it's what's interesting about about it is it's a relatively unique situation, I think, in that um, it's a dread is uh, in a new environment, uh, which is to say a super packed subway car. And he kind of more or less loses. Like, I think that's the thing Mm -hmm. that I found sort of really interesting about the story and then it sort of goes and moves on is is that you know we're used to seeing dread as you know the character on his lawgiver motorbike and riding around you know the cities and the speedways but you stuff him in an over uh packed subway train and he's 
at one point he literally has people trampling over them as they leave the train. And so he seems uh, constrained in a way that even though he's able to catch the bad guy, you don't feel like he ever really masters the environment. In fact, at the end of the story, he's more or less like, okay, that's, that's, an, that's enough for me. I, I got to request a cost, you know, I got to change my uniform. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and he's, he's kind of like sulky about it, which is, is kind of fun. Yeah. So it's very, it's sort of surprising and fun, but it also was kind of, I found myself being like, but sort of why I guess sometimes I feel when, when Wagner does stuff like that it's kind of like oh is he making a point about what you can or can't do but in 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 that particular instance it just felt like um, it just felt like sheer car- it just the cartooniness of it you know what I mean like it's just a fun little cartoon strip where where dread really is a fish out of water in a way and um you know, you, you get to draw him in like packed in a sea of faces in a way that you just are sort of like, I I don't know, you know, it struck, it, it struck me by what the story did and, and sort of how much it sort of deviated from the usual formula of, you know, no matter how. Dread is hyper competent. Yeah, exactly. It's very rare that you see a situation where he's basically fuck this and, and, and controls like no, you still got forty two minutes left, you know. So yeah, and yeah, he's like it, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, fun. That was a fun story. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good pieces in here. I think Zoom Time was was actually quite good. Um, yeah, I guess for me, um, after hours, honestly, despite comparing complaining about the art, I thought Give Me Liberty was. Um, kind of a perfectly executed little story about a block that tries to secede from Mega City One and and how everything just goes horribly awry for them after that. I thought that was that was really despite not being super crazy about Ian Gibson's work on it, um I still liked it better than the other Ian Gibson work. Like yeah, I think yeah. I would have liked after after hours another really strong Rennie Dread story, like you said, that feels like um like just slightly off Wagner. Um I think I would have enjoyed that more with a different artist star than than uh than Gibson. Um and then yeah, so th- I think I think those are my favorites. Once you take out Incubus, which is, you know, again, a mighty big thing. Like, I don't know, sort of the way that you get the magazine where it's like all the magazine stuff and then there's usually the back-end uh, graphic novel of classic material. You can sort of think of this volume of, of the case files as a volume of the case files with a free Judge Dredd Aliens graphic novel thrown in the mix. Um, it's quite good. <laughs> it, it, it is quite good. I like the understatedness about that. Yes, yeah. Um, no, I I I feel that this volume feels uh, feels like a level up in terms mm-hmm. of quality, uh, mm-hmm. not just because Vinky was because again Rennie I think is just yeah surprisingly strong, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes me feel very excited about what's to come. Yeah, with Dread. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it's like oh, so so we're in a, another good period, right? Uh, so you know, 
we'll see. We'll see if, if that is, in fact, where we go with this. Because next time around, we're going to be doing volume 37, which has stuff in there that I, I am really curious what we're going to make of it. Hmm. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff in there that I, I really like, and I feel that might just enrage you. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I, um, hmm. Well, I say no more, but uh, let's let's tune in next month and see just just how enraged Jeff actually ends up being. I, I like I like the challenge of it. Exactly. That, that, that's what I'm saying, Jeff. I'm, I'm trying to get you ramped up and prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, there'll be show notes for this episode up uh, at waitwhatpodcasts.com uh, on Monday. If you cannot wait for wait what content before then, uh, I guess you can check us out on Twitter at wait what podcasts. Jeff is on Twitter at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D, and I'm on Twitter at Graham M G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supporter podcast. Drock exists because of Patreon, which means that Jeff is about to talk right now. So, listeners, I gotta say, this is one of those things where. Uh, I will have to, um, I'll have to send a photo to Graham, but one of the amazing things about the Patreon is not only is wait, what the podcast where I get to talk with my best friend for several hours about comics and pop culture and goofy shit. Um, but you guys, we put it out in the world and then you guys give us feedback. Excellent recommendations um you know uh maybe the occasional miss as far as a recommendation goes but you know beside that for myself who was a judge dread neophyte it's kind of insane that i'm like sounding like i know what i'm talking about after reading 36 volumes of dread which is probably something like 10,000 pages of, of Judge Dredd related material, more, which is you, kind of my We've favorite. also done the, the three restricted files volumes as well, Jack. Oh, shit. Right. So... And honestly, at this point, I think we have to do restricted files four, which for the most part is material from the 1990s and has like maybe one or two strips from the 2000s. But wow. I think we've caught up. I'll have, to, I'll have to look at dates. Okay. We'll have to check that out because maybe that is coming. So n- not only am I, you know, have the fine listeners of uh, the podcast and the supporters on Patreon by throwing us a little hard-earned dosh to suddenly turn me into, I mean, this is not the, the episode to, to, for me to, to actually talk about like, yeah, I'm a sophisticated uh, reader and critic of judge dread stories. Cause I feel like I've just been um, tripping over my goddamn feet. Uh, linguistically speaking for this entire episode Uh, but nonetheless thank you thank you for this amazing odyssey that I have found myself on wandering through uh, Mega City One and broadcasting from various points such as the Stanton Memorial Volcano it is it is uh, it's it's been an honor and a privilege and I I look forward to doing it more because we actually don't have that many more volumes left, Graham. We're much closer to the end than to the beginning on this, which is kind of blows my mind. Anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Listeners, thank you. 
patrons, super thank you. Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for your continued support of this podcast and keeping things more or less on the up and up, at least at a cosmic scale. Um, we thank you so very much. Um, Graham? I should say that uh, currently scheduled is volume 40. Wow. Uh, and that's not out yet, so we're mm-hmm. very close to the end. Yeah. By right. the end of this year or the very beginning of next year, we will have caught up with wow. the case files as as they exist. Man. Which is bonkers. <laughs> like, right? Is genuinely kind of crazy. We've said before about the, the plan at this point, I think, is still that we would continue for another few episodes afterwards and just try and go through some of the non-case file collections mm-hmm. uh, of materials published since. I really want to get uh, Jeff reading some of the Rob Williams Henry Flint stuff. Yes. Uh, especially, hopefully, you'd be even more excited about that after the Henry Flint's performance in this volume. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, there's there's a number of things. Uh, I don't know if Origins will be covered by the time that we catch up with the case files, but if not, we should definitely do Origins, which is John Wagner doing mm-hmm. the, the whole backstory. Uh, Tour of Judy, um, mm-hmm. Day of Chaos. You like there's 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 a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, um, which is great. Yeah, we are we're very close to the end, which is wow. is who would have thought when we started, right? Yeah, seriously, I kind of didn't. In fact, I I, I remember telling Edie, she was like, "So how long are you guys going to be doing this?" I'm like, oh, "I don't know, next three or four years, I guess." And she's like. Really? I'm like, ah, there's a lot of volumes out. And, uh, well, you know, suddenly, you know, it's three years later and you're like, yeah, we're, we just polished off volume 36. And I have to say, I appreciate Flint's ability to shout out to a lot of the classic dread artists that preceded him. That's a word. That's those are sentences, words that I can say with my face and only feel <laughs> Like as much of a jerk as I did before I knew any of that stuff. So that's that's really an amazing thing. Um, and so on that note, I guess it, it occurs to me I, I should probably say, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the isocubes. We'll see you in 30. <laughs>